This show is brought to you in partnership with John Katz Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Live from Brussels, this is The Late Late Show with Jeff Pedley and you are listening live. Hello, good evening. Welcome to The Late Late Show. Tonight, how do you engage students who struggle to articulate their ideas? Do you take into account working and long-term memory uh, when setting writing tasks? Tonight, I'm joined by a pedagogical lead to explore how cognitive science can help us nurture academic writing in the classroom. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or join in the conversation by downloading the Podbean app and following Teachers Talk Radio. Hashtag TT Radio. Hello, good evening. Welcome to the Late Late Show. It is Thursday, the 26th of January. My name is Jeff Pedley. I am very pleased to be with you tonight. And uh, as I said in the intro there, how do you engage students who struggle to articulate their ideas? Now, and before I introduce our guest tonight, I'm just going to give a bit of an overview of my week, actually. It's been an extremely busy week myself. Uh, my S7s, which... Uh, in the English equivalent of year 13s are, in, are currently in the middle of their uh, pre-back exams, their their winter exams, which is quite nice for me on my timetable. I have, uh, I think it's five extra free periods this week. However, unlike the English system, it means I have to do invigilation. Now, I can't ever remember as a teacher having to invigilate uh, I think I think it was got rid of before before I had to do it and given out to to non teaching specialists, but not the most exciting part of the week. But that's that's the big focus at the minute. So it goes towards their final grade. So all of my S sevens are currently involved in their exams. I've also come out the back of a few observations as well. I've been, I was observed externally by a lady who came over from Poland within the European system and observed me uh, a few weeks ago, just before Christmas. And then last week I was observed by the director, the head teacher as well. So it's been a very, very busy start. I actually got a message. My last email from the school was, was from the humanities, uh, the, the human resource department, the last day of term to tell me that I had an observation on the third day back. I have never heard <laughs> never heard anything like that before. I thought I was getting an electronic Christmas card and it was actually to tell me I was getting observed on the Thursday uh, straight after straight after school. But it all went well. It went it went really well. And uh, I think something else I'm looking forward to this week. I have a, an intern who's going to be following me around at school and she's stu- she's doing a masters in sociolinguistics at the University of Montpellier down in France, in the south coast of France. And it kind of mixes two of my subjects together because I'm a literature graduate, but I also, uh, my dissertation encompassed social construction and sociology. And I also teach sociology on the side as well. It's about 
I don't, I don't, I don't always admit that, but it's about, I don't know, 20% of my timetable. So I'm very excited to have somebody who's at the forefront of social linguistics following me around next week. But anyway, without further ado, I am very pleased to introduce our guest tonight. Her name is Chloe McNamee, and she is uh, the pedagogical lead of English at a school in Hampshire. She's also an English GCSE examiner, and she has a big interest in... Uh, in cognitive science and indeed how it helps us as English teachers. Chloe, how are you tonight? I'm really well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very good. I know you went to see Macbeth last night. How did it all go? Oh, it went really, really well. It was a really good production and um, the students really enjoyed it, which was lovely. And thankfully, all students came back in one piece. So <laughs> another trip survived. Yeah. How How many did you take? Um, we were meant to take 34, I believe, but we had a couple call in sick at the last minute. So I think our final numbers were just over 30. So not a massive group, but still felt like 300 when I was ferrying them in and out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How many times have you seen it now? How many times have you seen Macbeth? Um, how long's a piece of string? I, I really couldn't count. <laughs> I think I watch it at least four times a year, minimum. Yeah. So goes on and on. <laughs> <laughs> no, and thank you so much for joining us tonight. As I say, after it's two late nights in a row, eh? And uh, no, and I'm really looking forward to talking to you tonight. Yeah, no, I'm really excited to start talking about my absolute nerd now on cognitive science and how it applies to English and all the wonders that is uh, the human brain and its relation to writing. Yeah, and uh, as, as I spoke with you briefly yesterday, and I said I was going to play dumb with this, like play dumb, but I probably will. I probably will be done with this as well. So, I'm, and I know we've got some listeners as well who have such a wide range of experience with this, from you know teachers who absolutely know almost nothing to do with this, all the way up to teachers who, again, who have specialised in this. Yeah. Uh, but just just before we go into a bit more detail about this, what's, what's your background, Chloe? I introduced you as a pedagogical lead, and that's the role that you still have now? Um, yeah, so it's a, a, I've kind of taken on a dual role. So I was um, a pedagogy lead last academic year for my department. Um, and then I, through one of my colleagues going on maternity leave, um, was promoted to acting assistant head. So I've kind of done both roles simultaneously. Um, mm. And yeah, no, I've um, been in my role now since September. Um, and so I, I think I would now just class myself as an English teacher that does a lot. It's basically the title. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so pl pleased to have an English teacher on as well. I kind of have dominated the shows with English teachers as well. But yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 team English, sticking with what I know. There uh, you go. And uh, yeah, how are you finding the role? How are you enjoying it? Yeah, I, I enjoy looking into the like theory of teaching and how um, like practice can be like improved and evolved. Um, and then I like making my team do all of these ridiculous things that I'm, I'm finding. Um, and then working out what does work, what actually doesn't work for our learners, um, and then just trying to improve the way that we teach through like little changes and then like some bigger changes to uh, hopefully at one point um, have a really cohesive and responsive teaching program that allows for mm. all learners to access what we're we're trying to deliver. Yeah. So uh, first things first, what do you what do you understand by cognitive science? I mean, like and again, I'm, I'm, I'm pitching this at somebody who's never 
you know, never really, really considered this as well. Maybe an old school type of teacher. How do we, how do you explain it to somebody who's, who's never really touched upon this in their studies? So the way I've always thought, thought about it is like an introduction is cognitive science in terms of education is understanding how, like how you learn. So it's how you retain information. Mm. It's how you can um, like remember the most minute details of um, a subject to then either apply that in an exam setting or um, in wider life. Um, and one, uh, I was listening to, um, I think it was a TED talk about two or three years ago. Mm. Um, and this guy was given a really like clear example on um, like the cognitive reasons why you have to do things over and over and over again before it becomes like solid in your mind. Um, and he said like, uh, you remember your telephone number, it's an 11 digit number, um, and you can recite it by the snap of a button, no issues, you just remember it. Mm. Um, and then he said, but could you tell me the hotel room number um, that you stayed in three years ago? And so it was getting us to think about how when we do something over and over, it, it becomes so much easier to retrieve from our memory than trying to remember a p potentially three digit number on a door that we haven't ever thought about. We didn't really think about when we were like looking at the door. Um, and so there's just no memory of it within our long term memory. Mm. I think that kind of encompasses what could, yeah, just basically understanding how you learn um, what, no, sorry, how, yeah. Cognitive science is understanding what you learn. <laughs> and how did you start applying this to English? Like when you when you first went into it, what were your first sort of like uh, tentative steps to connect this with the subject? Um, I think I wanted to understand. If you've ever looked at the English national curriculum, it's yeah, so yeah. yeah, it's <laughs> so like weighted in equal parts to knowledge and skills. Mm. Um, but there's no entwining of these two two things they the national curriculum states quite clearly what it wants the students to know and what it wants the students to be able to do but there's no explanations on whether the students should be using those skills to explore that knowledge um, and so I first started off thinking about well actually in summative assessments what are we actually asking students to do and are we preparing them for that do we give them the tools do we give them the the skills in order to apply the knowledge that we we are teaching through our curriculum. Um, and when I took a step back looking at um, not just my curriculum, but also um, I was still doing like ECT work and things yeah. um, at this point. Um, and so lots of the ECT program was looking at this as well. It was looking at how you can make a curriculum cohesive with skills and knowledge. Um, and so that's kind of where I started in terms of applying cognition to um, like the, the world of English. Yeah. And this idea, this, this, this relationship between knowledge and skills is, is, is so interesting as well. And I, just coming away for a second, but as English teachers, do you feel, I mean, what, what do you find easiest to teach knowledge or skill or do you, or like I say, with the way that you are teaching now, you, you are managing to find the connections that in lesson by lesson? That, yeah, no, I still think it's easier to teach knowledge because knowledge, it, it feels more tangible when you teach it. Yeah. It's very, th this is what I'm going to teach you. And it's easier to assess if students have left your classroom with that knowledge. You, you can do a, a checking for understanding, a whiteboard drill, however you're going to do mm. it. And you can assess if they have that knowledge. But a skill is something that it takes months and years to refine, to learn, to understand. Mm. Um, 
And I was thinking about actually our, our national curriculum across all key stages, not just the key stages that I teach. Um, and so when um, learners first go into school, you know, essentially from, from the get-go, they start learning how to write like, my name is, and they start learning um, mm. how to put adjectives into sentences. And so we teach them like the fundamentals of like formulating sentences. Um, and then when they come up to secondary, suddenly the, the curriculum shifts focus from being um, like descriptive to being very analytical. And then mm. as you get further up the key stages, it's, you know, critical and um, exploratory. And so you really just have to take a step back and think, well, actually, when are, when are we explicitly teaching these skills? How, how do you teach someone to be critical on a text or exploratory on a text? Something so undefined, how are you going to teach someone else how to come up with a critical idea and who are you to say that what isn't isn't a critical idea yeah um so really big questions and and i think that that must have been your initial sort of entry into this as well that mm. as, as i say taking the step back looking at the skills and then starting to dip your feet in the water and start to try things in the classroom and see mm. what yeah yeah so i did lots of reading um around like the cognition of like writing and the cognition of um reading and mm. jennifer webb who is phenomenal and has done so much research into this um and is also a phenomenal english teacher um wrote a book called the metacognition handbook um and it was exploring how um you have to teach learners how to think before you can teach them how to write um and this was also echoed in works like teach like a champion um, which is heavily pushed on ECTs at the moment. So I'm sure lots of people will be familiar with it. Um, and it's essentially, we, we expect students to know how to do skills almost intrinsically, when actually we have to teach them how to understand the skill that they're doing, so how they think about the skill and then the, how they apply the skill. Whereas at the moment, lots of practice um, nationally centres around they know what the skill is, they should be able to do it. But it's mm. almost like telling a student, you need to score a, a three-pointer, pointing at the basket and saying, off you go. You're not teaching them actually how to do it. You've told them what the skill is, throw the ball into the basket, but then mm. you haven't taught them the steps, the, the break it down, the one part at a time and mastering each section before they're able to throw the ball into the basket. Yeah, so a teacher coming to this for the like I say, at this, at this initial stage then, what do you, what would you recommend and what worked for you when you really started to unpick what students needed to know how to think? What was, what were the kind of first activities you started to do in the classroom? Um, so I really took it back to, so um, I'm a massive believer that you have to model everything that you do. If yeah. you want the students to be able to do something, you've got to model it to them. Um, so I started off when I, this is when I was an ECT, so I had far more time on my hands to be able to do this. Um, when I was like... Yeah, not heading off to Macbeth every evening <laughs> no, and you know. talking on the radio, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know. Um, I would write up my model, um, I, I, if I was answering a question on Macbeth, for example, mm. and I was like, right, I know what I want to say. So I would just write it all out to begin with. And then I would make myself go back through my model and work out how I constructed the sentence that I constructed. Mm. Um, so one of the things that um, I always teach is like a topic sentence. So like your first line of inquiry, the introduction to your argument. 
Mm. And um, I wrote a topic sentence by myself for Macbeth that was something along the lines of, um, Macbeth, the quintessential loyal Thane, is presented um, as violent to foreshadow his future acts. And I stopped and like broke down the construction of that sentence. Mm. And I could not articulate to myself why I'd used a noun or positive. I just mm. knew that by using one, my writing was more detailed. And so then mm. when I started thinking about, right, well, why did I know that that was going to make my writing more detailed? I then thought to myself, well, it's because I understand that by using a noun or positive, you naturally add further information to a point. So you're mm. being more um, exploratory. Um, and then I took it back even further and I was like, right, I know how to use nanopositives because I've been using them since I was, I think, about 12 or 13 years old when I was taught them at school. Yeah. And then I went back to, like, um, the way that I've been, like, teaching and I hadn't taught nanopositives. I hadn't even gone on to nanopositives at this point. Mm. Um, and so I was like, well, how am I expecting a student to come up with this sort of answer or how am I going to model this sort of answer to them if I've not even taught them that really minute skill within my first opening sentence um and so then it was stripping back almost an essay to a sentence level and thinking to myself right I understand how an essay works I understand the purpose of an essay but do mm -hmm. my students do they understand what an essay actually does or is it just a word that they've had thrown at them and they understand oh it's a lot of paragraphs and this makes me write them all the time and I don't really like them but she's gonna make me yeah. do it so I've got to do it um and when I started thinking about essay writing in that sense, or even just like the articulation of an argument in that sense, um, I realised that actually I was not being an, uh, an effective practitioner because I was going into my subject assuming, mm. oh yeah, kids will know how to do nanopositives and how to embed quotations and how to punctuate sentences correctly. When actually, mm. if, if, if I haven't explicitly taught that, it, it's not going to have happened. Yeah, and... And as you say, going back to our the, the initial question about working in long-term memory, mm. if it's not natural as well and you're really having to yeah. think of how to embed and think of how to, uh, do you know, and, and put the technical yeah, no, terms exactly. in, et cetera, it's, it's, <laughs> no way you're going to remember any quotes, no way you're going to be, you know, exactly. thinking of the soliloquies, et cetera. So yeah. you're just overloaded. Yeah, sorry. To yeah. No, no, no. If students are trying to simultaneously um actively think about the construction of each individual sentence and actively yeah. think about the knowledge that they're applying to those sentences the work in memory is just going to get overloaded and they're going to become static because they'll just feel if we go to like zones of proximal development they'll just be in that panic zone and they'll be like i am not secure in how to write a sentence i'm not secure in the knowledge and this is asking me to do both things mm -hmm. at once and so then the student will feel as though they are failing when actually it's because we haven't taken that time to break it down, go over each of the individual skills, apply yeah. it to either knowledge that they're secure on with a new skill or um, use a skill that they're secure in to apply new knowledge. Just moving out of sentence level and start to think about uh, like more of the essay structure or even mm. par paragraph structure, do you think... Do you think that so many teachers, well, not, I don't think this is the main reason, but do you think one of the reasons maybe why teachers resort to P to paragraphs, peel paragraphs, P paragraphs is because that it, it, it's just such an easy thing to 
remember and it doesn't overload the working memory, etc. You know, and you can just use that as the structure automatically without having to think a little bit more detailed about how you structure a paragraph. Yeah, no, I do. I think as well, it, it's something tangible for the students. It is a, almost a, a checklist for them in their mind. Yeah. There's a point, that, like it was always P, P-E-E paragraphs for me. They make their point, they make their evidence, they do their explanation and it becomes repetitive and it becomes that drilled practice with them. Um, but then you almost stunt them in terms of their academic writing growth because if yeah. they're always just just thinking oh a paragraph is a point and evidence and then an explanation and they never look any further or they are never exposed to any um writing structures or styles that are further than that yeah yeah i i don't disagree with teaching pe in like key stage two and key stage um like key stage one and key stage two where students are mastering you know writing at the letters really um and and coming up with their own ideas to begin with you know it it does work i think we just have to recognize with any sort of um, writing structures there's always going to be constraints um to it and that's the thing isn't it for me i always feel it like it moves up that bottom you know the, the the students that really struggle at the bottom to articulate maybe puts maybe put them into a you know i'm talking me you know the, the the two grade student that then goes up to a, a high three or something do you know but nothing but as you say at that at, or maybe scrapes into the fall but at that other state at that other end i i agree with you it really like stunts people doesn't it the, mm. the students that are going for the highest grades and i mentioned briefly at the start as well that you're a gcse examiner yeah. How, and when you when you're examining these scripts and you're seeing yeah, I'm, I'm just interested. Like, what's your view when you see these writing structures? I know we've moved slightly away from cognitive no, science yeah. here, but but when you see uh, in essays these these writing structures, how does it, you know, on reflection, did you did, were the students successful when they did this, or or did it kind of fit, fit into that idea of yeah, it moved some of the lower attaining students up a bit and then stunted the top? Yeah, I think with a with, with a structure like a P paragraph. It is restrictive, but it, it's yeah. designed to be restrictive. It that's the the nature of it. Um, so in examining marking um, that I've done previously, you can always tell when a PE paragraph is being used because it is very stop start stop start. Yeah. So they will make a single point. They will, and it, it is a a simple sentence. They will give you a piece of evidence that is introduced in a, a very simplistic way, and then they will explain that evidence. Um, and you know sometimes yeah. that explanation will go on for three or four sentences sometimes it will just be a sentence um, and so I think when we're teaching uh, like a writing structure like PEE um, you've always got to think about well what in teaching that am I actually restricting um, the upper end of the, the spectrum essays that I read very rarely followed a PEE or petal or PETA mm. or Piper, whatever it's going to be, structure. Um, and it we need some of, new names, don't yeah, we, Chloe? We, we need some do. new names. Yeah, I saw Forest. Was that one or a Forest? Was one of them? Is that for that, persuasive, persuasive devices, was, wasn't it? Yeah, persuasive. Oh, fanboys. I've seen a lot on, on fanboys. There's a oh. lot floating about, and, and so. <laughs> At, it, at it, it really makes me cringe when the teachers say "p" all over your essays. That is so. That's such a cringe. <laughs> like. Reminds me of uh, saying that I'm I'm obviously older than you, but it reminds me of like Doctor Evil in Austin Powers, where he's like, "I'm hip, I'm hip," and he's like trying to be trendy with the kids. Oh, and it's like, yeah. <laughs> you just cringe at the whole thing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
So no, um, at the at the top end, um, academic writing does tend to be more organic, and it tends to shoot. You'll see it, and it's really lovely when you see it in, in um, mm. student writing where they've started arguing a point, and as they're arguing it, you can actually see their thought process of how they suddenly linked it to another part in the play or another part in the um in the poem yeah. or whatever it's going to be and it becomes this very it, they tend to be quite long paragraphs as well like i'm talking like a page long paragraph <laughs> but yeah but it's because all of this analysis is linked and entwined and it it doesn't read as a an individual like block paragraph and then when you go on to the next paragraph it's this completely unrelated point it mm. it naturally leads itself into one another and if we go back to the idea of like PE structures, that structure doesn't allow for that organic shaping um, of writing. Yeah. And so that's where I think metacognition comes in to support writing, because if you teach students the knowledge that you have to teach and then you teach them how to write, they're then able to apply their writing knowledge to their um, like academic curriculum knowledge and then it becomes more entwined as opposed to uh like almost i always think about it like blocking when you've got like pe paragraphs it's yeah and, and that's it I'm, I'm really interested uh about you uh about what you were talking in in respect of like verbalizing your own thought process and how you share how you model with the students how you like start to articulate your ideas how how do you do that in the classroom do you, are you a fan of walking talking mocks do you like you know just do or do paragraphs and verbalize like literally just saying what's on your mind really slowly like how do you how do you model your thought process with the class um so i think the way i do it is i just like dumb like i'll be writing a paragraph and i'm like right i've got to come up with a point how am i going to come up with this point what yeah. is my point going to be and I think when you, you break it down like that, you because obviously you're the expert in the classroom, they're the novices. If when you're modelling, you make your, your questions out to yourself sound like you are a novice, mm. I feel like it creates that culture of, oh, okay, like these, like it's okay for me not to know straight away you what my take them with be. you, yeah. Yeah, you, you've got to work it out. Whereas if you, I found when I first started like verbalising modelling and I watched a, um, a CPD session on it and this, this guy was doing like two different types of modeling. One was very like, you are almost lecturing them. And the other yeah. one was more, oh, okay, how am I going to work this out? And I just found that like lecturing style that I, I was doing um, in like my, the early stages of my career. It was mm. very like, I know that I need to write my points. Here's my points. And I would write it out, <laughs> but I wouldn't model like, cause that's what modeling was. I wasn't modeling how I actually came to that point. So now yeah. when I model, it's very much like, right, I know that I'm answering a question. So obviously I'm thinking about a lesson that I taught um, on Jekyll and Hyde, where I was modeling on writing on duality. Mm. And I was like, right, I know that I'm talking about duality, but whose duality am I actually talking about here? What quote am I using? So I take mm. it all the way back to, right, this is the quote I'm using. What duality am I speaking about? I'm talking about the duality of Utterson. How am I going to articulate that into a point? And then I verbalise myself, like going through the, like the strategies of articulating yeah. the sentence that I've gone through with the kids where I'm like, right, do I want to use another positive here? Or um, am I wanting to use like author intent in my um, noun positive? Or do I want to use like a, a to show that I'm understanding like the comparison of um, Utterson or that might work yeah. because I'm talking about like duality. So let's try that. And then it's just like that, that trial and error, that trial and error. 
Yeah, um, yeah. And I think I, I am quite convincing with the kids when I'm modeling because they start answering my questions like, Miss, you need some help here. Like, we've got the answers, um, which is then really great because they're like, oh, okay, no, I, like, I understand that part now. So yeah. I modeled like chunks of my writing. I would never model an entire paragraph. Um, so I tend to model either the first part or like the last part of the paragraph. Yeah. Um, and it's just that, that verbalizing it, but verbalizing it as though you are the novice as if you model it as the expert that you are the students aren't the expert and so they're not going to know how to ask themselves those questions but those really sim- simplified down questions of what am i trying to say why well, don't yeah. you know what my quote is at this point let's find my quote first let's choose that and then breaking it down that way i found that i've had more success with the improvement of um writing yeah, it's so interesting. So interesting. And you're really making me reflect tonight as well. Uh, and just as a side note, I love if if you ever get a question on Utterson, like the the duality in Jekyll and Hyde, I just love how rich the, the first page is, you know, the first two paragraphs of Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah, you can, you can answer that question. You can do your GCSE on the first you, paragraph of Jekyll and Hyde. Honestly, don't even need to read the book. That's the duality, son. Yeah, chapter 10. Who needs it? Stop, <laughs> stop at nine. There we are. Stop at page one. <laughs> do you know when we when we changed to the, to the new... Uh, scheme when the new text came in the literature when I was back in England uh, the first text our head of department chose great expectations as the first text uh, that we did I think we and we bailed out halfway through (laughs) because uh, yeah it was I'd I'd, I'd love to hear from people if if people still do great expectations do do you do that as part part of your marking or is it you just focus on Jekyll and Hyde Macbeth and Oh, no. So when you examine a mark, you examine for the entire the paper. So the whole yeah. depth of it. You, you, I, I wish I could choose the questions I did because <laughs> sometimes I'm reading an essay and I do think to myself, like, I, I, I don't know, buddy. I don't know what you're trying yeah, to say. Because yeah, yeah. when the text that I'm more confident, this is not a tangent, but the text I'm more confident with, I'm like, I understand the point you're trying to make. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I know what, what you're alluding to here. I, yeah, I understand. Yeah, yeah. Whereas with, with the really like obscure text where you get like one in a thousand essays, you do think to yourself, why was someone teaching this? Why why have yeah. you answered this question? Um, but then in the same breath, I've had students walk out of the exams before. Um, that, thankfully, they're mocks. But tell me, yeah, I answered the Jane Eyre question. And I'm like, why? We don't study Jane Eyre. We've, we don't do Jane Eyre. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, I just felt like it. I was like, oh, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that yeah i once i once had a student got got a four grade in a text he'd, he'd never he'd never read and i still to this day don't know how he did it he made well, a he just he just started at question one i mean have you seen this when you mark them and they just if they start at question one and they just worth their way through the book yeah. well, one of my, one of my colleagues um told me that she in her actual gcse she didn't um, she didn't like the text that she was studying but she had read one of the other texts yeah. answered the question on it and I think she came out with a C this is when we were in letters she came out yeah, with a C yeah. or a B and she was like yeah I was really proud of myself um, <laughs> how much you so, feel as a teacher that's when you're like yeah I'm teaching knowledge and skills it still is me <laughs> <laughs> there we go if we teach yeah. skills they can't answer any questions we're setting yeah. them up for success yeah, yeah. here yeah the teachers I'd be still I'd be harping down the skills route definitely <laughs> but, oh, slightly embarrassed but anyway uh, the yeah and I find that uh, yeah, I find it so interesting. The, the like literature, I, I do prefer literature to language, and going down that route of uh, 
the choices in the paper. I know, I know, I briefly talked about Jack, uh, sorry, great expectations there as well. I think that is the, I think that's the text again. I'm going back into my memory from three, four years ago. Or so, but is that the the question that's matched up with the character setting and plot question, which it was was so ill ill chosen because there's about twenty seven main characters in Great Expectations, and then, like oh. it's so hard to, <laughs> to yeah, predict think- what's going to go. Yeah. I think for the the nineteenth century novel, it is a a theme motif or a character question. Yeah. Um, and so if you've got like twenty seven characters, best of luck. <laughs> best of luck. I might have exaggerated a bit, maybe twenty six, twenty five, but. Uh... No. <laughs> <laughs> no, Chloe, we're just going to have a very. Uh short break at the minute i'd love to catch up with you uh after the news also thank you so much for this first half i'm gonna uh thank you we're gonna have a little break in the moment but there's a few things i'd like to discuss uh with you just before we do first things first if you would like to get involved with uh with the conversation today you're more than welcome to send uh well you can Contact us at TT Radio Official on Twitter and Instagram and everything else. You can contact myself at Jeff underscore Pedley, J-E-F-F underscore P-E-D-L-E-Y on Twitter if you have any questions or would like to join in the conversation today. On top of this, we've also got starting, uh, sorry, starting from this Sunday on Teachers Talk Radio, we've got a show which is going to be the weekly review and it takes place on Sundays at 10 a.m. It's live and it's on screen as well. And the first one is this uh, is this Sunday. And it's a mixture of a review of the week and of some of the shows that we've been going. And uh, you'll have a panel of uh, Teachers Talk Radio hosts. And it's the inaugural show this Sunday. I would love to see you there if, uh, if you're available, as I say, 10 o'clock uh, Greenwich Mean Time. Uh, Thank you so much for the support from uh, my interview last week as well. It was really nice to hear so many positive comments of the interview with uh, Martin Robinson. And again, this uh, this show today is sponsored by John Cat Publications. And again, I would really, uh, I'd really suggest if you haven't had a listen, go have a listen to that show. Uh, you can catch it up on Spotify and Apple Music and all of the others. And Martin Robinson was discussing his show, uh, Curriculum Revolutions, and it was really, really worth a listen. But anyway, I will speak with you in a moment. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The Christian Institute website carries a story on the reminder by Minister of State for Schools, Nick Gibb, that schools in England have a duty to remain politically impartial in their teaching and extracurricular activities. The guidance was published last year but Mr Gibb was responding to MP Miriam Cates references to a YouGov poll which appears to reveal that the majority of UK children are being taught political ideology as fact and he issued the reminder. Ms Cates was referencing a view that children are being taught that they can be born in the wrong body 
as well as resources being used in schools which focus on the topic of gender identity. The DfE guidance comes as Scotland attempts to introduce new legislation on gender recognition, which is opposed by Westminster. The guidance states that schools should not under any circumstances work with or use materials produced by external agencies that take extreme political positions. The Varsity website reports on findings by a right-wing think tank that elite universities were more likely to use progressive terminology on their websites. Cambridge tops the table in the Radical Progressive University Guide, although the think tank Civitas does not appear to see this as a positive. Varsity highlights comments reported in the Daily Mail, which warned that half of our universities peddle their woke agenda to students. The think tank generated the findings after exploring university websites and news reports, looking for a series of key phrases including trigger warning, white privilege and anti-racism. Those with high incidences of key phrases were at the top of the table. Varsity acknowledges a view that Cambridge's political culture is to the left of the national one, but also highlights key figures in academia who fe feature prominently in the conservative press. It's hard to stay away from politics as announcements of strikes continued late last week. The TES reports on the continued deadlock in Scotland, whilst the Evening Standard covers talks between ministers and unions in England after the NEU confirmed strike dates for the coming weeks and months. These strikes are set to impact schools in England and Wales, although the BBC further reports on talks in Wales. Its news website reports that teachers and school leaders have been offered a one-off payment by the Welsh Government similar to that offered to health workers, although unions have already said that the offer is not enough. Scottish media outlets have also carried a story about what it describes as fears about violence in schools. A clip now widely shared on social media shows an altercation between two students and that took place on the same day a male pupil was left unconscious following an assault. Whilst Police Scotland have said it's investigating both incidents, it has sparked debate on the state of behaviour in schools, particularly as such incidents have featured in headlines before. The Scottish Government has previously stated they're investing an additional £15 million this year to enhance capacity to effectively meet the needs of young people, and that they were very clear that violence is unacceptable. In further political news, the petition put forward by three men known as the Three Dads Walking will go to Parliament. The men, who all lost daughters to suicide, want to get suicide prevention on the school curriculum. The petition they set up now has more than 155,000 signatures, which means that it will be discussed in Parliament, after previously failing to be heard. Finally, more than 20,000 defibrillators will be sent to almost 18,000 state-funded schools by the end of the academic year. It comes after the government committed to ensuring there was a device in every school last year. The rollout comes after campaigning from the Oliver King Foundation and its founder, Mark King, whose son died at 12 from a cardiac arrest while swimming at school. Guidance to support schools has been created, including awareness videos. And Education Secretary Gillian Keegan praised the work of the Oliver King Foundation and described the rollout as a huge milestone. Mr King stated, defibrillators save lives, and that he hoped that families do not have to suffer the heartbreak of unnecessarily losing a child. This is for our Ollie.
This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, a while ago I asked you what is your go-to piece of tech? This week I had the pleasure of talking to Ian Kenyon, CEO of Wirral Respite and Alternative Provision, also known as RAP for short. So, Ian, what is your go-to piece of tech in your setting? Thanks, Steve. In our organisation, we are absolutely embedded in sharing our information and our data via the cloud. And there's loads of software out there to do it. And there's a lot of bespoke software for our type of organisation, student information management services, uh, the likes of Sims or Arbor or, or, or things like that. But unfortunately, they're all built around big organisations, big schools, uh, schools with up to 1,200 students. Certainly not for schools that have a turnaround of students uh, who are completing courses in 12 weeks and those students who are potentially returning but require new files. We've tried proprietary software, it's very, very expensive. But actually what we've fallen back to is what Google provides. Uh, using G Suite, which is now Google Workplace, we have access to spreadsheets, to um, form-filling uh, software for, for data collection, uh, Google Docs, which is, you're very familiar with everything via traditional Microsoft offices. Being able to link Docs uh, and Sheets and Forms together has been almost transformational for our organization. It's not the cheapest. Uh, I will say the per user price matches uh, what other software like Zoho or, or Microsoft will do, um, but offers a simpler version for us um, and offers us some interactivity that we've never had before. It handles our email, it handles our, our, our student information, so gathering attendance, it handles our finance, uh, so invoicing. Um, the, the, the way that the suite works, the way that the package works, just works really well for us. But with very little additional investment in time, effort and training, um, Google offers us everything that we need. The final sort of element that, that has been transformational for us is then being able to use proprietary hardware such as Chromebooks or even Android phones and the ability for us to then transfer our data and, and to, to be live in the cloud at all times has been uh, a really good thing for our organisation. So there you have it, my number one go-to. It's definitely got to be Google Workplace. Thank you, Ian. As always, I'd love to hear what you want to know about tech. Do you have a go-to piece of tech? Let us know at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, welcome back. I am very pleased to be joined by Chloe tonight, who is the pedagogical lead of English in a school in Hampshire. She's also a GCSE uh, examiner. And we've been talking all about cognitive science in the classroom, and specifically the English classroom, looking at how we can nurture academic writing. If you would like to take part uh, and contribute tonight, you can contact us at TT Radio Official or uh, at Jeff underscore Pedley. Uh, on all of the social media. Thank you to those of you who are listening live on the Podbean app tonight. Likewise, you can catch up with us, late, uh, to people who are listening later on on the Spotify app uh, and Apple Music and all of the rest, etc. And uh, and yeah, Chloe, welcome back. Hello. <laughs> uh, we had a nice old discussion just before just before the break there, and I was really interested uh, in some of the practical. Uh, aspects of, 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 of what you'd found out and how you're starting to use them in the classroom. We talked 
a little bit about this verbalization and the modeling that you that you brought into the classroom since you're reading. Uh, is there anything else that that's you've you've seen start to have a really big impact within the classroom? Um, so I think something that's really taken off within the world of like writing and um, just like teaching pedagogy for English is moving away from those prescriptive um, like acronyms that we were talking about earlier and how actually we can use like sentence, like key words or starters for students to in, in mm. order to like elevate their writing. Um, and this came out of some of the reading that I was doing on the metacognition, like of what, how, why, which feels at the moment it's becoming a bit more like PEE. Mm. Um, but in the its earlier stages, when it was thought of as like a writer, a thinking strategy rather than a writing strategy, um, it was interested on how you can get students to um, articulate a response when you give them like a, a the sentence starter of like but. So your response must begin with but, um, mm. or it must begin with however, or it must begin with while, and you would actually get three very different responses to the exact same question. Um, when you give them the, those different writing starters. Um, and so then it was looking at how through re repetitive um, use and through embedment into long-term um, memory work, uh, in terms of their understanding of their writing, how they mm. then draw on those different words and those different um, openings in order to come up with very articulate and very well thought out points. Mm. And and like I say, you, you you were starting to see some impact with this as as well. Almost uh, like you you could see a really clear dif difference between some of the submissions. Uh, yeah, so I I think this is something that is taken off more so not just in terms of like my own school, but um, across the co uh, country. Because so when mm. I was when I've been examining marking, or um, um, I also do um, some like ad hoc tutoring. Um, mm. you, you can see it in student writing that they are using words like um, while Dickens presents, um, it was all in all of the twist I said I was reading, uh, presents Noah as uh, vulnerable. He also presents him as this predatory character towards mm. Oliver. And so it was understanding that, you know, it, within just that simple sentence of starting it with while, they've embedded some more theory and intent. They've understood yeah. that there's a, a complexity to the character of Noah. Um, when actually that that could, if I had taught them like a you know a very prescriptive sentence of um, Dickens presents Noah as, it would be, mm. uh, become a really simplistic sentence. Um, so it's it's thinking about how you can use um, sentence starters as like a, a springboard almost for student writing by teaching it as a a thinking strategy. Yeah, and like I say, we've talked a lot about uh, literary essays tonight and the academic writing that required for that and analysis, really, hasn't it been? And uh, it, it, there's so many nice texts that, that that are on the scheme at the minute, but and the characters are so nuanced, aren't they? And it, it's so yeah. complex, and just I, I, that's something that I always. It's I think that that's the key, isn't it, with the students to work to explore this complexity. Uh, I uh, I sometimes when when I'm first teaching literature, maybe maybe like it when I get a new like a new year ten class or something, I have a, a two triangles on the board and I'm and I try and because students 
I feel that students sometimes really want that easy answer, you know, like a maths mm. and, and I kind of, I kind of yeah. do use these triangles and I'm like, maths has all this complex formula or, or input or, or whatever it is, a word question. And then it comes to a, the nice, neat packaged, you know, answer at the end that's correct. And English is that opposite. We've already got yeah. the nice, we've already got the package, which is the text itself. And then it, and then it goes on and, and spreads out into it being really complex. And, I, and like, like I say, those, those sentence starters that you've used there allow students to kind of just explore the complexity and the nuances. Yeah, and... exactly. I think where, obviously, I think English is a very unique subject in the sense um, it, there's not a right answer in English. Yeah. You're never going to read an essay that is, you know, uh, the perfect answer or even technically mm. a right answer. Um, and you'll never read one that's really a wrong answer unless there's an insecurity in knowledge. It's mm. very difficult to, to argue a point wrong. I did and once, so, sorry to interrupt, I did once okay. have an, a Jekyll and Hyde essay where they said that uh, Jekyll had been banished to an island with monkeys on it. But that's the, I think that's the worst. That's the only time I've had a wrong answer for Jekyll and Hyde. Going back know. to long-term memory, they obviously did not retrieve that piece of information <laughs> yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Or I'm sure there is some film adaptation where that did happen. Because <laughs> um, I've read many of Romeo and Juliet essays about meeting over the fish tank and fight to, <laughs> to the petrol station. So that's funny. At least it wasn't Nomeo and Juliet or something. Oh, it's slightly, well, slightly more academic for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is is interesting. It reminds me of uh, something that I've discovered recently, and I know there's been a lot of discussion with Chat uh, AI at the moment. And there was an amazing show on here, actually. Tom Rogers did one a few uh, earlier this week. And you can go back. Well, it was last week, actually, on on Chat AI in the classroom. But uh, I got an essay in a few, uh, yeah, one of the first first weeks back, maybe two weeks ago or so. And the essay was amazing. And it matched the student's ability. There were a few typing errors there. But there was just an instant in there that was just completely made up. Just completely made up. And... It, it links to this idea of, you know, this chat, you, it, keep, it fills in the, it just puts something that seems right if it doesn't really know what to put in. Yeah. And, I, and I, it, it, it's really, it, just going back to what we're talking there about sometimes the content is just random within within yeah. it. Uh, yeah. I find it really interesting. How are you, what, what, what are your views on this, this chat AI? Um, I've seen a lot of it on Twitter and mm. I've actually seen Tom Rogers talking about it as well. Um, mm. I I didn't understand what it was to begin with. I thought it was like a you know this plagiarism website where you can like pay yeah. your dissertation. I thought that's what it was to begin with, and then I saw someone um, like put in to like where you say your like prompt, and they wanted the um, the sculptor's perspective of the poem Ozymandias and how like. The, the spot, yeah. it was in the same style and actually it was a really beautiful like sonnet and it was yeah. I, I couldn't quite believe it had been written by like this machine uh, so I think it's a very powerful tool I do worry yeah. about coursework based subjects and how you screen yeah. for that because I don't know if there's like a centralised database of all the you know the answers that this what machine has created yeah, yeah. And if not, we're really falling into territory where if, like, universities, PhD students, and anyone can just access 
the the yeah. world of information that they can then just apply and no one would ever know that it wasn't their writing and i think we'll move to a, 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 an education system where we don't do any form of um like coursework or or written yeah. work in that way as there'll just be that that paucity of draft the way i'm the way i'm sort of dealing with it at the moment i'm trying to there's there's two kind of met- metaphors that i'm getting my head around the one is that it's it's like the introduction of the calculator to maths, you know, and you can't, mm. you can no longer uh, just set your, <laughs> set, these are the sums for homework, you know, and because, you know, you could just type them really easy, 13 yeah. times 17, et cetera. And it kind of brought along the, uh, basically the, the need for working out, you know, the need to show you're working rather than just put the correct answer. And I find it really interesting about what we talked about earlier, because it's kind of it, from an essay point of view, we, we, that's what we might have to do. We might have to then assess well, we might get essays in, but it's what's more important is how did you, you know, how did you yeah. get to this point? And in that case, the, the, what you were talking about before the, of, you know, of what, what the thought process is, yeah. it's going to be so easy, I think, to, to, to see that it wasn't their thought process, you know, when you, yeah, potentially having students having to submit their their like written screwed up plans, yeah. um, but then if a, an AI can create an essay, I'm sure it could create yeah. a plan. So, <laughs> but, it's the same way um, that when I was at school, I could scan my math homework, and I, it would it would do all the workings out for me, and I just have to copy it. Chloe, I I I cheated. Him. No, not cheated. Sorry, mm. I I I. I uh... I uh, yeah, maths was something that I uh, sometimes copied answers down yeah. from as well. Yeah, but anyway, I'm really sorry, Mr. Colbrook, if you're listening. I did, yeah. I did not get Pythagoras. I'm sorry, I'm Mrs. Freya. <laughs> <laughs> the English teachers' apology hour to their maths teachers. It is, it is yeah. <laughs> but uh, I know, and, and just think, but that's what I think. And I know we've gone off for the slight tangent here, but this idea of AI as well, because the AI, the AI, you can say within it, you know do this essay and make it look as though it wasn't done with that day and make, yeah. make and put in five spelling mistakes that yeah. make it look it's crazy. It's crazy. I also think of it a, a, a bit of being like uh, that, that we as, uh, well, anybody who uses the chat AI needs to kind of treat it a bit like being a chef at the pass, you know, like on a restaurant mm. and like the chat AI is making the food and like 90% of the time it's fine and it just goes straight out. But you know, there could be something that's an absolute disaster and you can't yeah. just but it's again it's that being that critical analysis isn't it being able to work out what isn't correct what isn't and right right yeah but if you if i i'd hope if any of my kids are listening that they would never use chat uh, chat oh. CPI, is it um yeah. because i i don't give them homework or i don't give them like essay writing to do because i'm like yeah this is fun I'm doing it because I, I I want them to get better at it, and I'd rather than say, "Oh, sorry, I've not done it." Than, "Oh, yeah, my computer did it for me." Yeah, have you started using it as a teacher? It's okay. Your manager's not listening. It's okay. <laughs> no, I haven't. I well, I haven't even like gone to the website. Do I've it, just Chloe. People, I've just do it. Do it. it. It's amazing. <laughs> it's absolutely I'm, I'm amazing. Sh- I'm sure it is, but I think I'm just. I don't know, I'm, not, I'm not sold by, like, I'm not a technology person. Like, we're in 2023 and I've just bought my first, first, like, first pair of headphones. Yeah. Um, so, like, I'm not exactly, you know, technology revolution over here. Um, 
I've worked, I used my visualizer until it literally broke and wouldn't stand up anymore. So, you know. The European school that I teach at, I, I turned up, I told everyone I'm employed, indirectly employed by the European Union now. It's a whole thing. And I got there and it was, there were chalkboards. There still are yeah. chalkboards. It's crazy. Like, uh, but it's, it's a real mixture. But yeah, so I. I uh, we're a little bit behind of the technology in a few places, <laughs> a few places. just slight, just the only sort of 50, you know, years behind us. So. You know, only uh, a couple of decades. There's me with my iPad and my screen share, and it's like something from the year 3000, I think, for us. For some, but uh, what I, and yeah, like just going back to this as well, I find it, I find it so interesting to, to go through, but yeah, like on the, like I say, hopefully my manager isn't listening as well, but I was on the, uh, the tra- I get in the train in the morning and I li- I'm teaching. Have you ever taught or read a Monster Calls with Key Stage Three? Um, I did when I was um, training. I haven't done it since then. Yeah, though. it's worked really well with the basically a Year Seven class that I have over here. Mm. Uh, and uh, and anyway, on the way to work. Well, oh, sorry, it was already a, a week before. Should we say? Let's say a week before when I was planning. <laughs> not not on the day. Uh, I I said to it something like, uh, "Plan fifteen comprehend quest- fifteen comprehension questions uh, for a year seven class with answers up to page one hundred in a monster calls." And it was amazing, absolutely amazing. It did it like in a few seconds, and obviously I checked it and went through it. But it was just a yeah. really quick start. It's amazing. But yeah, so uh, obviously I didn't use that in class, right, Chloe? Let's move away from this subject. Uh, <laughs> Me just, I'm basically just selling selling our career away, aren't we? To chat AI. Yeah, <laughs> no, they were all wrong. They were all incorrect, and they didn't work. Uh, no. What do you prefer teaching, Chloe? What do you prefer teaching, language or literature? And just a couple of general questions to finish, really. Yeah, so you said earlier, I I'd much prefer teaching um, literature, and I think it is because it's it's that mm. entwining of knowledge and skills as opposed to language, which is just a hundred percent skill based. Um, I, I just yeah, I like di- diving into the content and going on these like random tangents with my classes. Like earlier, yeah, week, we've been looking at the implications of Mrs. Berlin being her husband's social superior. And in the Edwardian era, well, why would mm. women marry down? And so we were then talking about, well, much like Eric and how when he um, assaulted Eva and got her pregnant, his first reaction was, oh, yeah. I'm going to get married. We were then talking about, well, actually, is that what happened with um, Mrs. Berlin and Mr. Berlin and why she did marry down? Um, and if so, is that why Mr. Berlin was so just nonchalant to the, the mention of him getting someone pregnant? And so blase about it whereas mrs berlin you know straight away blames the father of eva's child um yeah. so that was a really interesting discussion whereas language is it's less interesting sorry mm. for the example that i used <laughs> it's 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 a funny one isn't it because there's there's a lot more needed from the students sometimes especially the creative writing you know, mm. the, it's the, we, we, we talked a little bit about, we haven't really touched too much on idea generation when it just comes out of nowhere. You know, when you're just told right about a time you were surprised, you know, and yeah. it's just, there's so much <laughs> so that's needed to make it interesting. Do you know, there's yeah. so much needed to make it engaging. Most students could do something that, that 
ticks off the content, but to make it actually engaging mm. is, and again, even and when, uh, like I say, when I was in, in England, I found this really interesting to do within the department. You know, how many, how many of us can sit down and <laughs> in 45 minutes or so bang out a, a really engaging text about a time when we impressed somebody, you know, and yeah. really, it's, I find that so interesting. Uh, and when you, when you were talking earlier about the thought process, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting to reflect of where those ideas come from, but how do you filter out what you would include and what you wouldn't? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think with um, the language papers as well, I do feel they're, Sometimes the, the prompts that they're given aren't very inspiring. I think mm. a couple of years ago, it was um, like what the, the written prompt was right about a time something unexpected happened. And I'm like, what, what are you expecting them to say here? What, what's the, the purpose of that prompt? That... This prompt came up, end of essay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do not know what to do. <laughs> you know what, if I came across that as a, a 40 mark or response, yeah they've gone through on on the exam uh the, the exam scheme that we or the exam board that we use internally one of the text forms is an online comment write an online comment that swans to and i said to my students if you did a smiley face or like a who sucks or something i still it's not going to pass but i you would get more marks than you would do in any other i mean yeah. an online online comment who writes a uh, you know, a three-paragraph on. Like, firstly, yeah. I would like to. <laughs> yeah. Secondly, in yeah. my opinion, it tends to be just you know, don't like this. No, no. My very final question, because I know we're, we're hitting that hour mark here, Chloe. But my very final question: What next? Where are you going to take your 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 focus next with these with these studies? Do you think? Well, interestingly, maybe it was the the. The fact that the universe knew I was doing this for CZ. I've actually just had my offer through to do my master's next year. So amazing. I'm now, yeah. So I'm now doing my master's bit on top of everything else. Oh, I'm that's... Be doing my master's next year. So that's very exciting. So I'll be delving further into the world of English. Amazing. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you start, you've, and that was tonight, did you say? Sorry. Yeah, I, I well, I got the um, email just before my year 11 hour revision session. And I, you couldn't see when you just looked at the email if it was like a congratulations or a commiseration. And I was like, no, I can't open this. And then, because if I'd been rejected, I was like, I can't teach for an hour and be okay. And yeah. so I've been oh, myself, no. Chloe, I'm pressing. It. I've got very few sound effects, but I'll press the clap button. Oh, there you go. That's you. that's a hundred people there. Uh, teachers talk radio saying oh, well yeah. done, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know how to stop it. <laughs> anyway, uh, so so yeah, so you're just going to take it further further now uh, down the master's route. You know, eventually I might stop, but we're not at the stopping point yet. Yeah, amazing, and thank you so much for talking to me tonight as well. Yeah, thank you for having me. And and yeah, maybe we'll 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 our paths will cross again in another English uh, in another Team English direction or so it's fantastic I do hope so no. and I hope you have a lovely uh, rest of year as well and with these new new positions that you've got and, <laughs> uh, and I can tell from speaking to you tonight you're going to be an absolute success in them oh thank you thank you
And thank you to everyone else who's been listening tonight as well. I really, really appreciate it. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please use the uh, the use tag at TT Radio Official. You can contact myself at Jeff underscore Pedley, P-E-D-L-E-Y. Thank you so much for uh, being part of the show tonight. Remember that you can catch up with all of the Teacher Talk radio shows on Spotify, Apple Music, and all of the other podcasts. Uh, uh, review podcasts please know as well that on teachers talk radio we have got a show starting uh, this sunday and every other sunday afterwards at 10 p.m which is called the weekly review which brings together uh, a panel of teacher talk radio hosts to discuss the re- uh, the the uh, week's stories and a review of some of the best shows on teachers talk radio thank you so much for being a part of the show tonight and i look forward to seeing you next week bye bye you've been listening to teachers talk radio tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org we look forward to hearing from you next time on teachers talk radio